Hi, welcome to another episode and story from the Growing Up 8 podcast. Today's story is entitled, Lord, Please Give Me a Window Seat, the Midnight Blue Chevy Impala Station Wagon. Every Roy Rogers needs his trigger. Every Quixote is Rossianante. Every Steinbeck is Charlie. We had the 74 Chevy Impala Station Wagon. We had mixed feelings about the wagon. Adventures and joy could easily be recalled, and the wagon was our shared transport. She was a solid, American-made product, but secretly, we all dreaded riding as one large unit in this wheeled purgatory for two solid weeks. Somewhere, there's a law in physics which states the impossibility of two objects occupying the same space at the same time. Dad believed in physics. Buana did not. Somehow, every vacation, Buana would manage to get all ten bodies and sometimes more into the wagon, along with everyone's luggage a Coleman water cooler, and grocery bags filled with food and necessities. Although we weren't quite sure intelligence not being a prerequisite for innocence, we did not think it completely fair or right that this man, Buana, be able to ride unchaperoned next to Mom in the front seat, especially since the rest of us, all eight tribesmen, were sentenced to the back two rows of the station wagon. Dad had not picked out the 74 Chevy Impala station wagon. Buana did. Dad would never have been so cruel. The 74 Chevy Impala station wagon was not built for maximizing fun as Dad would have wanted. Instead, it was meant to be a regenerating albatross hung around eight innocent necks. Doubtless, it was punishment for the fact that Buana, unlike our dad, did not want eight children. Dad was a patient man who loved us dearly. Buana, well, was Buana. The 74 Chevy Impala station wagon was midnight blue on the outside. By all appearances, it was a sleek, superior driving machine, especially at night, where its slightly speckled paint glistened like stars in the heavens. Buana drove only during the day. The interior, however, was black. Black vinyl. Black, flesh-melting vinyl. The only saving grace was the fact that the 74 Chevy Impala station wagon had air conditioning, a must when traveling to the south in the central portion of July calendar. Juana was impervious to heat and insisted on maximizing gas mileage, and thus economic savings were realized with a 260 AC system. Two windows, 60 miles an hour. He told us that air conditioning wasted gasoline, and we were in a conservation. He told us that driving without air conditioning would sooner acclimate us to the serious outdoor adventure that awaited us. He didn't want us soft and miserable as we toured the sights along the way. It was for our own good, he said. He told us to remember all the vacationing children in India who traveled daily without air conditioning. If they could do it, surely we could as well, as a show of solidarity and empathy. He chided our stamina and questioned our commitment. We worried about permanent scarring and death by asphyxiation. He questioned our masculinity, which, when you're below the age of 12, is not a difficult thing to do, especially if two of the questioned are females. Buana was unyielding, and we hadn't even reached puberty yet. Timing was everything when climbing aboard the 74 Chevy Impala station wagon. If you were too early, you got stuck in the middle. If you were too late, you got stuck in the back. If you were the last or the youngest, you got stuck on the hump. But if you timed it just right, if you lived according to the virtues of the way, if God decided to smile down on you, you would get a window seat. Procuring a window seat was essential, though not necessarily inevitable. Window seats were an automobile's only true existential part. 
They cared not one iota for race, creed, sex, age, past history, or future longings. They stood unaffected and unmoved. A window seat meant freedom and escape, even from Juana. If he called, you could simply feign loss of hearing due to the wind and noise coming in through the window. A window seat meant hours of daydreaming as mile after mile after endless mile rolled past you, allowing for infinite scenarios and speculations about what escape and living in these wild places might entail. A window seat also meant, unfortunately, the disgruntled looks of the unfortunate ones who felt betrayed. You knew they loved you and all, but their eyes said, vermin. But you could stand being vermin for a little while, as long as you got a window seat. We did not leave at 7.30 on this particular vacation. In fact, on all vacations, it seemed Dad's schedule would need to be appended somewhat to accommodate our later-than-expected departures. It was always closer a couple of hours later. The reasons were myriad and unimportantly essential. Bathroom necessities, forgotten articles needing to be packed, a sudden search and rescue as someone inevitably wandered away from the party to see if any friends were up and about in the neighborhood. Older siblings reassuring the terrified younger ones that all would be okay. You know, Dad always told us to be ready to pull out at 7.30 sharp. Juana never pulled out earlier than 9.30. Scheduling a vacation is never an easy task, but Mom and Dad were unmatched in this skill. Eight children meant spontaneity had no place in our lives. As they saw, the unorganized individual is destined to a hollow existence. That individual might just as well be a piteous proof rock without tableware, a Thoreau without a Walden, a DiMaggio without a glove or a bat. Dad taught us that to be without a plan is to be naked in the face of fully armored life. He was never a big fan of the David and Goliath story. The schedule of our vacations all followed a similar pattern. We'd spend two or three days driving to our destination, stopping along the way to read historical markers and soak up the heritage that can be found in the off-ramps of the interstate highway system. Our stops certainly included any and every Stuckies that nestled along the highway system. Stuckies meant Texaco gas, which was a must in Dad's thinking, and bathroom breaks, and maybe, just maybe, some sort of snack. We'd stop at the end of each day at a Holiday Inn and spend a relaxing late afternoon or early evening shaking the dust of America from our kids' sneakers. For the eight tribesmen, this usually meant a dip in the hotel pool, which had been marinating all summer long in the unshaded heat of the southern summer, the exhaust from the nearby highway, and the sweat and body fluids of earlier travelers. Generally, we would be greeted at the gate by a sign which would say something to the effect, please don't pee in our swimming pools, we don't swim in your toilets. Without a hired lifeguard, visitors were on the honor system. Nevertheless, we learned to avoid the more tropical waters of the children's end of the pool. Following the pool adventure, we would retreat to our rooms. Mom usually reserved two rooms for all ten of us to share, though truth be told, the six boys shared a room, and Buana, Mom, and Mary and Catherine slept in the adjoining one. After a couple of rounds of bed trampoline and pillow fights, we drifted off for a much-deserved and peaceful sleep. All that is save the hump person who tossed and turned all night, anxious about tomorrow's fate and seating arrangement. Buana would poke his head in before going to bed himself to remind us to take turns going to the ice machine in the morning. We suspected that hotel managers sensed the season of the family vacationers and adjusted their ice machines accordingly. As a rule, there is very little ice found in these machines, especially not when the seven or eight station wagons parked outside suggested the empty bellies of seven or eight ice chests. 
We were up early and spread out in small squads of two with the plastic ice buckets moving quickly from floor to floor on a search and recover mission. One of the pair carried the bucket and should a producing ice machine be found, the second would be sent to locate the other scouting parties and give them the location. As a platoon of six boys, we had the advantage of numbers and speed and planning over most other NF vacation families. Following our ice quest, we'd return to the hotel room and begin our secondary search for treasure. A good haul would include matches, plastic cups, a shoe shine rag, plastic bath cap, postcards or stationery, soap and shampoo, and an unbroken paper ring with the word sanitized emblazoned across it. This could easily be turned into a warrior's headband for adventuring on the next state park. All this bounty would include the green and white logo of Holiday Inn. We loved staying at hotels. When we finally finished both these missions, though to be honest, the hotel ice was generally of an inferior quality, hollow inside and melting fast, compared to the ice you could purchase from a filling station. But mom and dad were sticklers for economy, and we were ready for breakfast. And so we loaded single file into the midnight blue inferno and pulled away from the small bit of heaven that was the roadside Holiday Inn.